You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Amen. Great to be here, everybody. Um, so many familiar faces out there in the crowd. Did I miss anything while I was gone? Uh, I want to say... It really is remarkable to be back. And uh, Tanya and I feel incredible gratitude for the Westside Church, uh, for Ken and Lena, for the shops, and so many of our old friends that have believed in us and really encouraged us to stay faithful to um, the Westside vision. Amen. And it does feel like an incredible blessing, a remarkable homecoming to be able to come back. And we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We want this to be an incredible time. I do feel like God is really in control. And we gave uh, Ken and Lena the clock. There's a time for everything last week. And we really very much think that, that uh, this is a very special time And God is going to do very special things in our lives, in our ministry, in our families, with our teens, with our campus people, with our singles. It's a special time to be here. Amen. Um, You know, we're going to uh, spend some time here and be in the Word. and, And I really pray that you can focus and hear what God is saying to us today. We've been doing this theme brand new. And I'm going to do Mark 1 this morning. I've got some nice thoughts for you out of Mark 1. But we are going to go home, and we are going to be flooded with the news of this crisis. And it's a little odd or surreal to be here knowing that there's, um, you know, a real tragedy that has just happened here in America. And I want you to go home, and again, just remember the word, remember us. And what we are about, amen? And now is a time for us, for the Christian, to speak up for God in America. To have uh, and hold up our convictions about what we believe in in Jesus, and about love, and about sacrifice, and about the Bible, about building family, And let it be a real call to us that the world is really messed up. And that the world's answers and our answers are in here and in God's Word. Amen? And and these weeks are odd weeks. You remember them. And we're going to try and go through and build and, and plant and put some seed and water And we trust God's going to do some great things. When stuff like this happens in the news, though, in our country, it does. It really shakes us. And I just want you to be prepared and really be mindful because God is still moving in all this. Amen? I want you to be thinking about that. I also want to say a quick word uh, just about what Jason said about church and about us. Um, I don't see the monitor. Are we on? Am I good? What do we uh, got on the monitor? What are you What are you looking at? All right, good. All right, it's working. You never know. You never know. 
Uh, I was uh, I was with Jason for a small part of that story. I don't know where he went. Where'd you go, Jason? You're right here. there. You are. Yeah, very good. And uh, he did a great job. I want to really lift him up. He did a great job sharing. And Jason came to uh, UCLA, you know, many years ago, and he was the top teen intern. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> and um, in some ways, in some ways, Jason, as a freshman in college, was a little more, um, Jason, don't take this the wrong way, a little more polished. He, he was more preachy. He was more preachy. And what he did up here today was a lot harder to do. He really shared with you what's going on in his life and some hard things. That's for us. And that's supposed to be what we're about. We're supposed to be able to come into this place. We've got to create a place. We've still got a lot of work to do to create a place where we can come in and talk about the hard stuff. Tanya and I were pretty simple because life is really complicated. Think about your life. It's complicated. You know you're in the middle of it. And so when we do church, we want it to be simple. God, Bible, people. And we're out there in the world. That's hard. That's hard. When we come in and here and we're together, that shouldn't be hard. There should be a place at the table for everyone. Amen? Going out in the world, that's challenging. Coming in here and being with each other, that shouldn't be hard. Uh, people serving in kids' kingdom, serving each other, being involved in the ministry, those should be easy things. Amen? Let's all, everybody's invited at the table. We want everybody at the table. Simple. God, Bible, people. But everybody at the table needs to be willing to give, willing to serve engaged with each other. It's the only way we're all going to work. I got an uncle. He's one of my favorite uncles. But every time I see him, every Christmas, Uncle Rick, he says, Todd, great to see you. It's too bad you can't choose your family, isn't it? And I say, you know, you say that every uh, Christmas. But it's still funny. And we're sort of the same way. You don't get to choose your family. You got what you got. We're going to love each other no matter what, amen? And there's some differences, and there's history, and there's, there's a million stories. But I just really want to thank Jason again for setting the tone of what we're supposed to be about. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Jason. And, um, you know, i got to say, I think during that time, too, I was in a little bit of... Um, Crank the ministry man mode. And I think I was actually pretty hard on him those first week or two years. I don't remember. <laughs> and you know what happened? It's interesting. It's interesting. It's like kids. You know what he did? He, I could feel him. He resisted me. He drifted away. And I was trying to make him a great, I, I wanted him to be this um, ministry guy. Um, and he wasn't ready for that. He was in the middle of his life, and it was complicated. And I do remember, though, towards the end of our time, I felt like our relationship very much changed because that went away, and it was just more about him and I, and I felt like I needed to learn how to be a friend before you start training people and expecting people to do A, B, and C. 
And I hope we can do much more of that too. There's a lot of expectation in all of our lives, but we've got to connect first. We've got to love first. We've got to listen first. We've got to be there for them first. And when we get that established and set up, all the other stuff, frankly, isn't that hard. It'll go very well. Amen? Amen. Um, so again, thank you. We're so excited to be here. Uh, funny moment last week. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to run our girls around West L.A. and get a sense of the city. Of course, they were born here, but they don't remember any of it. They remember Stan's Donuts, the Rose Bowl, um, probably UCLA here and there, but they don't remember a lot of West L.A. I took Summer up to um, um, the Getty Museum, and you get to see West L.A. And the Getty, the Getty is the most amazing place, isn't it? It's just incredible. All the art and the architecture and being up there is just amazing. Um, later that evening, we were at Target. And one of the girls, sorry, I, I hate to use bathroom humor at church, but I do this, says, I got to use the restroom, Dad. Yeah, whatever. And they come back, wide-eyed. Said, what's going on? There is uh, feces all over the wall in the bathroom. In Target. And I go, yeah. I'm sort of chuckling. That's about right. (laughs) You go from the Getty to that in about five minutes in West L.A. And what do you get in West L.A.? Everything in between. Those are kind of our bookends and everything in between. It was kind of one of those moments. I just loved it. I just loved it. Uh, Turn over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and let's do a thing here on brand new. Mark is uh, an interesting gospel. We believe this is the first um, of the four gospels written. It is written... We believe uh, to Rome, Roman to the Roman population, a, a, a non a non Jewish population. And before I get there, let me just read this: the new, the new is always by definition unfamiliar and untested. So God uses suffering as a push, usually a big one, or we will not go. Someone has to make clear to us that homes are not meant to be lived in, but only to be moved out from. Richard Rohr, who wrote this wonderful book on falling forward. I'll get more to that later. In uh, Isaiah 43, we read this. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Please remember that. New things. Uh, away in the wilderness. In your life, you're going to have these wilderness experiences, and some of you are in them now. And there are times when you feel like you're in the wasteland, when you're in the desert and you need water, and that's our time where we find God. Amen? And that's where newness often comes from. Uh, brand new. Um, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. The human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to failing, changing, or losing. The ego loves status quo, even when it's not working and attaches to the past, present, and future fears. It's hard to change. Amen? So I've got three things we want to talk about in Mark 1. Desert voice. 
desert wisdom and desert love. Amen? Is that good for today? So if you don't remember anything else, try and remember that. What does Mark do? Mark does an interesting thing. Matthew and Luke open both of their letters with genealogies. And this is really important to a Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, we always knew dad and granddad and great-granddad and great-great-great-granddad and generation and generation and generation and generation. It's hard for Americans to know three, four, five generations. We've got a real generational sort of blindness. In that way, we're a lot more like the Romans than we are the Jews. But in these genealogies, he, both those writers are telling stories, really important stories about Jesus. Each one of those genealogies is a giant family story that introduces us to Jesus. Mark just skips, totally skips all of that and says, hey, Roman guys, you're not going to understand any of this, so I'll just skip it. And he gets right into Mark 1, verse 2. This is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so we get this uh, uh, prophecy from Isaiah about this desert voice, this voice in the desert. Why is that important? Desert voices are really important. He's not talking about the city voice. He's not talking about the internet voice. He's not talking about your mom's voice. He's not talking about your dad's voice. He's not talking about your boss's voice. He's not talking about the elder's voice. He's not talking about the minister's voice. He's talking about a different voice, a voice that you've got to get out of and go find. And so this is wisdom. This is knowledge. This is experience that you have to own, that you have to go find yourself. It's out in the desert. And from right at the beginning, this is really important to us because... The the Romans were trying to promise people, I'm going to get to that in a little bit, they had a big promise for people. We want you to be a part of our empire, and there's a lot of great that's going to happen. You're going to love it, but if you don't do it, we're going to kill you. And Mark says, how do I say this to you guys? I know you're hearing all of this stuff about Roman wisdom, about Greek philosophy, about what's important in life. And you're never going to find it because it's out in the desert. And so you've got a place in you right now as you sit where you know, I'm not right. I've got to get connected. I've got to work something out. I've got to heal. I've got to get better. And it's out in the desert. And it's going to take a little work for you to get out there and find it. I think that's important. And I think Mark is trying to do that with the Romans. And this is how he's trying to appeal to them. This is a different voice. It's counterintuitive. It's not what you're used to. It's going to sound foreign. And it won't sound right when you first hear it. Anybody wants to uh, save his life will lose it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's some real desert wisdom and that kind of thinking. What does he do then? The voice of one calling in the desert. And then he uses his voice to call others. And what does he call them to? One of the first things he calls them to, twice in Mark 1, is to repentance. Repentance. He wants them to repent. This is a great word. 
I want this to be your favorite word. Do you have a new favorite? Repentance. The word in Greek is metanoia. Do we know that? Metanoia? Have we done that before? Let's all say it. Metanoia. Yeah, metanoia. It's not, when we say repentance, um, just sort of usually feels like a conversation killer, right? Teens, you just don't hear that flying around. In the, it's kind of a deal breaker in the teen. It just doesn't happen a lot, right? But metanoia, that sounds kind of cool. I don't know, metanoia. I don't know, that's a little bit different. Meta just means uh, to change. Meta, to change or to transcend or to go across. Noia is mind. So what is he trying to say? What is this voice trying to say to us? I want to change your mind. But to do that, you have to listen. I want to change your mind. I can change your mind. Metanoia. We all got a little scrambled inside. Amen? Amen? We all got a little scrambling. Jesus wants to change our mind. He did that 2,000 years ago. He's still doing that today. And a lot of it happens in metanoia, the ability to change our minds. It's a beautiful word. Lastly, what does he do? He calls out at the end of Mark, he calls out demons. And a demon-possessed man comes up to him and he says, uh, you know, I want you to, sorry, a leper comes up to him and then also subsequently a demon-possessed man and they want to be healed. And Jesus' question to them is, yeah, I am willing to heal you. And I want you to hear this right now. This is really important. We all feel different things when we're in church or we open up Bibles or we start praying. What is this sense that you get from God? Do you sense a good Strong connection with God. That's what we want you to experience. But if you don't really believe that He is willing, then you'll never really experience that. And so we want you understanding that He wants to connect to you, that He is willing. He's willing to love you. He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to accept you. He's willing to work with you. He's willing to put you back together. He's willing to open up doors in your life. He's willing to bring you into the family. He's willing to wash you off. He's willing to write your name in the book of heaven. He's willing to make a room in heaven for you. He is willing. And this is how Mark is opening his message to the Romans. This is what we want you to hear. God is willing. It's about changing our minds. It's about listening to this desert voice. Amen? Um... um, The desert voice. I love this. When you think of God's voice, there's so many passages about God's voice. Let me just remind us of this one in Job 37.5. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things. He does great things beyond our understanding. Why don't we hear that? A lot of teens, a lot of campus people, a lot of older Christians. We do this all the time. It's hard to see God in my life, at work, on the freeway, in church, wherever. It's just hard to see Him. It's hard to hear it. I'm not experiencing God right now. How many of you have felt that before? I've been a Christian a long time, but I'm not having a God experience. Yeah, happens all the time. And I think that's because largely we get a lot of interference from the world, from what's going on inside of ourselves. And it reminds me very much of Odysseus's journey home from Troy back to um, Ithaca, thank you, to find Penelope. And his first challenge, do you remember the first challenge? Is the singing 
sirens. And the sirens are there. They're these mermaids. And they sing these songs to the sailors. And the songs are so enchanting that men are captured by them and the boats shipwreck all of the time. And Odysseus knows that they're going to go past the singing sirens. And he knows this is going to mess up his intent. Because he has a goal. But he knows the sirens are going to mess up his intent. And it's really curious. One of the things he does, he tells the guys, listen, I'm going to hear the songs. I want you to strap me with ropes around the mast. Tie it in the tightest knots that you can find, that you can imagine. And no matter what, don't let me go. And he goes through this terrible night, the singer and sirens, but the ropes are there. The guys are, you know, what do we do? And he makes it through the night. But you're going to be out there tomorrow. The sirens are always there. And the sirens make it difficult for us to hear God's word. Use God's word. Use his spirit. Use the other Christians to stay focused on your goal and tied to that mast. Or they're going to get us. Nobody's above this. Um, yes. So, interference. I want to say a quick thing about this. Mark, promises, unity, prosperity, happiness, power. I've showed this a number of times. Probably a lot of our young people have seen it. I don't know if our older folks have seen it. This is a three-ish minute song, and they do um, a little skit to this. So, this is a video. I want you to watch this video and think about it's a great little portrayal of this young woman, her connection with God, and how his vo- she loses his voice in all the interference of the world. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes when I play that, I'm afraid it's going to look a little campy. We show that at camp a, a, a number of times. I've seen it a hundred times. I'm watching my wife. And <laughs> we still get choked up when we watch that. Yeah, Because I don't know how many times I've experienced that. You start off with this great, simple dance with God. That's what we're here for. That's what we're all trying to do. And then it's guys, or it's girls, or it's the world, or it's fashion, or it's self-conscious, or it's self-harm, or it's violence, or it's drugs, or it's drinking. It's a long list, isn't it, guys? It's a long list. And did she have a big fight with God? Did she break up with God? No. You just get lost in all those other voices, and she can't see. He's right there. He's right there the whole time. And so, again, let's be thinking about that. Where is he right now in the midst of our crazy lives? He's right there. And all the voices are there, and they're all trying to pound in on us, and he's moving right in to protect you and to protect me. I love that passage, Isaiah 65. God says, all day long, all day long, I hold out my hands to these people, waiting for them to come back to me. I think still some of us have this view that God is busy and not interested in our lives, or God's really disappointed with us, or that God is angry with us. And that's really not what you see when you read this passage in Isaiah 65. All day long, he could be doing a lot of things, but what does he do all day long? All day long, he holds out his hands, waiting for you and waiting for me to come back to him. And that's just really important, hearing that desert voice and the competing voices that get in the way. I don't think anybody's here this morning to break up with God. That's not what any of us want to do. But you've got to listen to the voice, and you've got to keep the interference off to the side. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 20, 
says, where's the wise man? Where's the wise man? Where's the philosopher of this age? This is a good word. He uses this word sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S, sophos. It means knowledge. It's a very Greek word that sort of encapsulates um, Greek thought, Greek knowledge, sophos. We say sophos, you're thinking about Plato and Aristotle and Greek mythology and um, Greek philosophy. Um, You're thinking about Republic and it's very sophisticated for this time. And it's always sort of set up against what the Christians are holding on to, which is Logos. And Logos in John 1 is Word. And that's Jesus. And so we always have Sophos, the world's knowledge, the world's voices. And it's always competing with, it's always interfering with Logos. Jesus, His Word what he represents. And you've got to sort of check in your mind, where is that in my heart? Where is that in my head? How do I sort of understand and connect with Logos? Am I too influenced by Sophos? The disciples could have done a lot of different things. Sophos would have been very appealing. You've got to go to college. You've got to think like the Greeks. The Greeks are way beyond where we all are at. We're these kind of backwater Hebrew people that have fallen behind and been beat up by everybody else, what do we have to offer? The Sophos is what everybody's going for. The Logos, Jesus, is what we need. Amen? We've got to listen to that voice. Without wisdom, what do we become? Confused and frustrated. You have to make some really important decisions in your life. But you need some real wisdom. And without it, you're going to be confused And you're going to be frustrated. Find wisdom. Listen to this voice. Okay, lastly, we're going to do desert love. Desert voice, desert wisdom, desert love. I hope I didn't show this here. I don't remember if I did or not. It's a very short clip. These are capuchin monkeys. I don't know how good the audio is going to be on this. Capuchin monkeys love grapes. It's their favorite thing. That's their treat. But they also like vegetables. They'll eat cucumbers and zucchini and carrots. But they really want grapes. And so you got a a capuchin monkey on the left and a capuchin monkey on the right. And they're going to give the capuchin monkey, he's got to give a rock. If he gives the rock to the researcher, she, he gets food. But she doesn't know what it's going to be. And when she sees, watch what happens when she sees her neighbor get the thing that she wants. Um, We'll check the audio. I I don't know how good the audio, hopefully it's loud enough. I'm hoping everybody can hear this. There we go. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. (laughs) She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again.
Okay. <laughs> Again, the audio is a little low. Sorry. But you get the idea. That's you and me. Every day I want to go out there, and what am I expecting? Some nice grapes. I always want grapes. But I'm usually getting cucumbers. And I'm all right with that because, you know, I'm a grown man and, you know, you don't get everything you want, right? You don't get everything you want. But when I see Joe get grapes, oh, no way. And this just illustrates, I think, this thing we can all relate to. Nobody likes not getting their way. What does that mean? We're selfish. It is really hard for us uh, to cheer on, accept, and really be okay if people around us are getting more or getting better. And if people are passing us by, and other people are getting A's, and we're getting B's, and other people are getting iPhones, we're getting flip phones, or other people are getting um, steak, and I'm getting Burger King, other people are getting whatever, you get it. Uh, It's hard to be okay with that. And we start to protest. Now, protest is okay. David does it a lot. We could change the book of Psalms, the name of the book of Psalms, to the book of protest. Because <laughs> David does it a lot. It's okay. It's not unspiritual. It is a spiritual thing to say, hey God, uh, thank you for the cucumber. But uh, I didn't like it when Fred got a grape. Uh, that made me really angry and I wanted to punch him in the mouth. That's a lot of David's prayers. They're kind of funny prayers. He literally prays for God to break the guy's jaw. That's a weird prayer. I've never done that. Uh, but you can just see, you're not going to get what everybody gets around you, and you've got to be okay with that. And you've got to feel good about giving. You've got to feel good about being selfless. Desert love. Love in the world is selfless, selfish. Jesus is love, but he's going to love in a way that's not like what they're doing in the world. It's giving. It's selfless. His love is transformative. That's what changes us. And he says, we know this in John 13, A new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. This is a big deal. And this means treating other people with love and respect. This means being okay when we get cucumbers and they get grapes. This means being good with whatever God decides to give me. Because I have no control over that. And we got to understand, God's God, I'm me. He's going to give me whatever he gives me. Why does he do this? Because we all have to experience desert, the desert, the hardship of the desert. The desert doesn't feel very loving. What do you have in the desert? Usually nothing. The desert strips everything away. The desert takes away all pretension. The desert takes away all ego. The desert takes away all image. The desert takes away all your stuff. Uh, It's hard. Uh, Richard Rohr says this. I love this. One of the things he says is, our first efforts in life... The first things that we do in life, they're built out of insecurity, fear, or ego. And these things never last. They're about survival and acceptance. So we're young, 
what do I got to do to survive? What do I got to do to be excited? I got to do what everybody wants me to do, but there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of ego, and there's a lot of insecurity all over, uh, around that. But that's not how you really build an authentic life. So you got to let that die. Where does that die? In failure, in rejection, in pain, and in suffering. That's the desert. That's how he loves us, though. Um, these first things we do, they're usually characterized, ask yourself this, by please, pleasing, and performing stuff. I'm not okay unless I'm pleasing mom or dad or my husband or my wife or my boss or the neighbors or whatever it might be. This ties people in knots. Or the other thing they think is, I've got to perform. I've got to be better than everybody else. I've got to be a better athlete. I've got to be a better musician. I've got to be a better, I've got to have more money. I've got to have more of this, that. That's performance. And, and that ties people in knots too. And neither one of those things are satisfying. All they do is give us a little bit of relief, but they don't really satisfy. So what, what do we do in hardship? Hardship is designed by God to help us let those things go. Brene Brown says, perfectionism, which is a thing we're doing, if it's ego and insecurity and fear, is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when, in fact, it's the thing really preventing us from being seen and taking flight. At some point, you will enter into something you can't deal with using your present skill set. Some of you are feeling that right now. Acquired knowledge or strong willpower. Spiritually speaking, you will be Uh, You must be led to the edge of your own private resources. At that point, you will stumble over necessary stumbling stumps. You will and you must lose that something. This is the only way that God can get you to change. Let go of your egocentric preoccupations and go on further and a larger journey. That's desert voice. Embrace your hardship. Embrace your pain. Embrace your difficulties. Embrace the challenges. It's designed by God to help us let go of that first stuff. Fear, ego, insecurity. Please perform. He's trying to transform us into the stuff that's spiritual, that's godly. Your spiritual convictions. Your knowledge about the Word, your love for your family and friends, that's where He's trying to get us to. But we're stubborn. If He just tells us that, what do we do? We usually don't listen. We listen usually when we get lost out in the desert and there's some hardship. Let me close with this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Anyone in Christ is a new creation. And the old is gone. The new is here. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. If you're studying the Bible, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, it's hard. You're thinking about the world. You're thinking about sophos. I've got to do all the stuff that's in the world. Sophos. But that desert voice, logos, is calling to you. Sophos, you're going to lose your soul. You're going to lose your soul. Logos, Jesus, listen to that voice. You'll find a place in heaven. You'll find meaning in life. And try and think about this as we leave. When Jesus is baptized, does it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' baptism, what do you remember? What do you remember? Isn't this a great moment? A voice from heaven. And it's God. And there's Jesus. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And Dove comes down. And you know, it's this great moment. And there's this voice. And this voice says, 
what? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what does God say? The last thing God says, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Brand new. That's what we're trying to do. But we all have some stories. We all have some history. That's okay. We're so excited to be here with you guys. Our family, we are thrilled. Thank you so much for taking us in, making us feel loved. Uh, We've got some warts. Amen. Uh, We all have some issues. We're going to do great together. I think we're going to do great together. But we've got to, most importantly, listen to this voice. Because what's it do? It makes things brand new again. Thank you so much, Westside, Ken and Lena, Shumps. You guys mean the world to us. We're very, very grateful. God bless. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.